Well, um, there's probably some of you who don't knew who don't know who I am. If you don't know who I am, my name is Kyla Peterson, and I practically lived in the basement of the women's house in a cave for two years. Not really. My office felt like a cave. It was the prayer room, but it definitely felt like a cave on some days because it's like this weird little Tetris piece. But I was um, the intern for the past two years. So if you're new this year, then you probably don't know me. But hi, my name's Kyla, and I like red pandas. <laughs> Anyways, the sermon today is going to be on 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1. I get the fun job. I get to open up the first chapter of the book, which is super fun because I get to do all of the historical background and stuff and give you guys neat facts because I love neat facts. So could you go ahead and open your Bibles to uh, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to go ahead and read through our scripture today. Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you and the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the inflictions, afflictions that you are enduring. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed Christ considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and all those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his might, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So as many of you may know, uh, the book of 2 Thessalonians is what's called an epistle, which means that um, it is a letter addressed to a certain group of people. And as you probably also know, when um, you read something, it's really important to have in mind who it was written to so that you can understand the context and really understand what the author is trying to say. Because if you have no context, things can get out of hand. Uh, I'm sure many of you have probably sent a text message meant for a certain person at a certain time in a certain situation, and then it got misunderstood because there wasn't any context. And Well, context is really important. So let's go ahead and dive into some of the context of 2 Thessalonians. So 
it was written to the church in the city of Thessalonica. And Thessalonica was a harbor city that at the time of the writing of this letter was actually the capital of Macedonia. And fun fact, got its name from the stepsister of Alexander the Great. Put that in your back pocket if you ever need a fun fact. Anyways, it contained the intersection of two major trade routes. And so as a result of all these things, being the capital, being Harbor City, being the intersection of trade routes, it was a prosperous city. There were many temples located in Thessalonica, including those of the Greco-Roman gods Aphrodite and Dionysus. And also being a prosperous and important Roman city, worship of Caesar was observed by most citizens because the Caesars of Rome claimed to be sons of the gods, so they required worship from all Roman citizens. So, imagine, just close your eyes, imagine for a moment that you are a newly converted Christian in the city of Thessalonica. Previously, you did what everyone else did, because that's what you do when you don't have a different set of values. You do what everyone else does. You indulged in alcohol, you engaged in moral activity, you worshipped many different gods, depending on what you wanted in that moment. And now you're Christian. And suddenly, life is a lot more difficult. The people you thought were your friends now sneer at you and spit on you. You are looked at and regarded with suspicion by the Roman presence in the city because they're afraid that you're part of a rebellion, which was the ultimate crime in Rome to threaten the peace, Pax Romana. And maybe even your family has disowned you and you're being persecuted physically, mentally, and spiritually. And then in the midst of all this, you still feel freedom from the sin that your faith in Jesus Christ has given you, but it's still all new and strange and hard. There's no church tradition to draw on. Your knowledge of the Septuagint, which is the Jewish text, is limited because most of the converts in the church in Thessalonica were Gentile. Are you scared? Maybe a little worried? worried that you're doing something wrong or maybe that you missed something? Well, this is exactly where the people in the church in Thessalonica found themselves, and it's exactly where Timothy found them when he delivered the first letter from Paul, which was 1 Thessalonians, which you guys have been going over. A rumor had spread among the church that Christ had already come again and that the church in Thessalonica had missed the boat. When Timothy returns with news of the Thessalonian church, Paul quickly writes a second letter to them to clarify some of the issues that they have been having. And this first issue that he addresses is about the coming of Christ. To address this issue, Paul has to work on establishing a doctrine of suffering for the church to rely on. Now this was the very beginning of the church, the early church, there wasn't really any doctrine yet. There wasn't really any theology. There hadn't been years and years of Christian philosophers wondering and, and coming up with these rules of faith. So it's, the church is really ruled by um, what the apostles are, are teaching from, directly from the teachings of Christ. 
So Paul is this voice of authority, and he's establishing this doctrine for this church. And the point he's trying to drive home here is that though the believers suffer in the present, when Christ comes, their suffering will end. And those who will be suffering when Christ comes again are those who refuse to believe and submit in the present. So, first off, Paul celebrates and praises the church for enduring the suffering that they have so far, reassuring them that suffering in the present is normal and desirable, even. Because Christianity isn't easy. I mean, if Christianity is easy, then you're doing something wrong. <laughs> because it should be hard to make decisions that the rest of the world is ignoring. It is hard to stand up for what you believe in, and it is hard to go against the crowd and practice self-control and abstinence and sobriety. And Paul is telling the church that they are doing well in resisting the temptations and enduring in the face of persecution. And so next he tries to give them a glimpse of what it will be like when Christ comes again. The main point of this passage is that when Christ comes again, it isn't the church that will be suffering. The church will be celebrating. And those who are suffering will be those who turn their backs on a loving God to pursue their own wants and desires. To look a little bit more into this doctrine of suffering, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. And before we read here, I would encourage you, I mean, if you have any, any free time, I know you guys don't have a lot of free time because college, but if you have some free time, read through Romans 8. And if you have time to devote to memorizing a chapter of scripture, I would definitely consider Romans chapter 8 because it is chock full of goodness. So we're going to be reading a couple of sections out of Romans 8. We're going to start in Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Our present sufferings are not worth comparing. This was written by Paul as well, the same one who wrote Second Thessalonians. And he's, so through, through Second Thessalonians, Paul is trying to tell them that, yes, there will be suffering, but hang on to the hope in Christ. Because any suffering in this present time cannot compare to what we have in the future. Now look a little farther down in verse 22. It says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Now, Shandy talked a little bit about pregnancy last week, and isn't it beautiful how God has woven truth throughout all of creation? I mean, everywhere you look, you see the fingerprint of God. You see the fingerprint of the Creator. Because all of that pain and that agony in childbirth and the hours and hours of, of this, this 
excruciating pain is all worth it when that child takes its first breath. And I'm sure you can talk to any mother who has delivered a child and, and say, they will say the same thing. Like as soon as that child was placed in their arms, all of the pain was forgotten. It was like it didn't, didn't even happen because they had that child in their hands. And this is what God is saying. He's saying that creation is, is groaning. It's, it's having contractions. It's, it's, it's laboring for this delivery of this new creation and this new life. Look a little further in verse 26. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So this is the last piece of the puzzle in the doctrine of suffering, is that we don't suffer alone. The God who loves us and sacrificed his son for us is with us every step of the way. His spirit is here in this room interceding for us and advocating on our behalf in a way that we can't even express in any language located here on earth with groans that words cannot express. That is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It's one of those passages that you read it and it's, it's almost hard to grasp, but it's just so beautiful. So now that we've established the doctrine of suffering, that it is in the present, but that it won't last forever, and that what is to come is so much more beautiful and so much more holy and so much more wonderful than we could ever imagine, what should this doctrine of suffering mean for the church in Thessalonica? Well, the result of a strong doctrine of suffering is a people who are able to endure hard things. Paul is trying to encourage a church that will stand strong in the face of persecution and be stronger because of it. When someone has a strong doctrine of suffering, persecution doesn't destroy them. It doesn't tear them down. It makes them stronger. You know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It's from the Bible. <laughs> Funny. Anyways, we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And this section of scripture is called the Faith Hall of Fame. It names off a lot of the Old Testament characters that endured in their faith and we're going to read some of read a little bit about some of these people but the people listed here endured great suffering and persecution but they allowed it to bring them closer to God so we're going to start in verse 7 by faith Noah I'm sure you know Noah in the ark being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah injured hundreds of years building a giant boat because God told him to. 
I don't know about you, I can't even start to wrap my mind around hundreds of years, living for hundreds of years. I mean, our average life expectancy now today is like 75, hundreds of years. And he was mocked and ridiculed the entire time because everyone thought he was insane, thought he was crazy. Yet he stayed faithful and he allowed that persecution and that suffering to draw him closer to God. In verse 8 it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called out, called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, I love this, not knowing where he was going. He had no idea where he was going. He just knew that God said go. And I don't know about you guys. <laughs> a lot of times in life I'm like, I don't know where I'm going. I, I have no idea. I just know that God gave me this life to live, and so I'm going to keep living it. And that's, that's simply what Abraham was doing. He was living. He was, he was living his everyday life and following the leading of the Lord. That's what we're called to do. We, we won't always know what, where we're going. We won't always know what we're doing. We'll just know that we need to stay faithful. A little bit farther on in verse 31, um, last but definitely not least, it's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. It says, By faith Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab went against what she had been raised with in Jericho and rose out of a life of prostitution in order to join the nation of Israel. And as a result, she became an ancestor, very close ancestor, of King David and was also, a, coincidentally, an ancestor of Jesus Christ. Pretty crazy, right? She rose out of this sinful pagan lifestyle and became a part to the nation of Israel. And so a strong doctrine of suffering results in people willing to endure hardships for cause. So what now? So what now, Church of Thessalonica? That's right, you heard me. The similarities are impossible to ignore. We live in a time and a place that's extremely pluralistic. There are different beliefs and different religions all around us. We have limitless options open to us as far as different things and people to worship and temptations to self-indulge in. You're at an intersection of major trade routes, like you, you are an intersection of major trade routes. Every time you pick up your phone, you're inundated with new ideas, opinions, objects, temptations. What do you fear? What is your struggle and or problem? How is the enemy persecuting you? Are you overcome with jealousy every time you get on Instagram? Are you tempted by how fun the party scene looks? Are you enticed by lust, greed, anger? Let me tell you the truth. All these things are not worth, worth turning away from God. But you know what the sad thing is? Most of you know that truth. 
important and you, you know it. And you know that this present suffering is not worth comparing to future glory. You know that Jesus loves you. I bet I could lead a chorus of Jesus loves me right now. I'm not going to do that, but you all know that Jesus loves you. You know that all the temptations for pleasure out there are not worth sacrificing the truth and love and hope in here. So what now, Christians? What now, Christians? I commend you for your faith, and for the endurance that you have displayed thus far, because I know each and every one of you are fighting your own battles, rather that be with different temptations or mental health or physical health. I have seen your faith grow, and I have seen your love for one another increase. Do not give in to the temptation that says, it doesn't matter because lives hang in the balance. I'm sure that each and every one of you can think of someone at this moment who you're not sure will be celebrating when Jesus comes again. Shandy talked last week about how the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. There won't be time for a last-minute text. There won't be time for any prepping, as she put it. You can't say, hang on, I've been meaning to do this for ages and I suddenly have the motivation to do it. No, there won't be time for any of that. This passage in 2 Thessalonians, it isn't just an encouragement to those who are suffering, it is also a warning. So what should we do about it? I'm going to finish today with a passage that most of you will probably know. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age.